Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. <laughs> what on earth? What? You're being really cheesy. And I'm Molly. <laughs> and I'm Molly. <laughs> and thank you for joining us if this is your first time listening to us. We are a uh, usually happily married couple with four rowdy children, ranging from age 10 to age 2. And um, we like to sit down on this podcast and hash out the finer points of parenting, life, culture, marriage, details, and anything else that we generally don't talk about during the week, which usually not very much. Yeah, we don't talk a lot. Um, I feel like the reason you just refer to them as four rowdy children is because I took the morning off and went skiing, (laughs) and you were single-handedly in charge of four said children for... Five hours straight. Yes, I was. And we spent most of the morning cleaning. We have normally in my perfect world, if I'm motivated, I like to stay really, really on top of laundry. And it's worked really well when there's only a couple of loads of laundry to have the kids all sit down and, you know, with four of us folding clothes, it gets done really stinking quick. Uh, Unfortunately, I've been lazy and we had, I don't know, 900 loads of laundry that needed to be folded piled up in our bedroom. It's not as bad as it can be sometimes. It was pretty bad. It was almost all the clothes ever. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So we spent most of the morning doing uh, the laundry together. We folded, got everything put away, and then I rode herd on them trying to get them to clean up the rest of the house because it was a disaster and we are skiing tomorrow and your mom has graciously hired a house cleaner to come in and clean at least two out of the three floors of our house. So things need to be picked up and well, there you go. But I totally understand why you never get anything done during the day. Yeah, because usually I'm trying to do school, not ride herd on them to do well. And stuff. yeah, and and Faith was distra- our two year old was distracting our eight year old, mm-hmm. and so she'd lay on her back and wrap her up and mm-hmm. you know. Death and if she and- doesn't successfully distract, then she gets destructive. And in order to get... Get some attention attention. or something, I don't know. But yeah, so that was... It was fine overall. I mean, I wasn't really... Yeah, you know, I wasn't really like... It didn't really bother me a whole lot. I was kind of of frustrated because I didn't get a chance to do any music today. But, um, whatever. Um, so (sighs) I feel like we should give everybody an update. Last week we were complaining... Or discussing our different opinions and challenges with our children sleeping in their own beds. Yes. And you guys should know that it got worse. <laughs> after the, after, I think we recorded what, Thursday or Friday afternoon. Oh, And yeah. for the next then, few nights, oh, the eight year old would not sleep in her own bed, crying, clinging to me. I would snuggle her in bed until I thought she was asleep. She'd be breathing heavily. But the instant I tried to get her arm off of me or edge off of the bed, it would be a death grip again and then crying if I left and got to the point where I think it was Sunday night. I also, I finally got away from her. She was sleeping on the couch right outside of our bedroom, but at least I wasn't in bed with her. Then the six-year-old crawls into bed with me because she had a bad dream, and she, I try to get, you know, I snuggle her for a while. She is a violent bed mate, and there's no sleeping if she's crawled into bed next 
to you. So I tried to get her back to her room and she starts crying hysterically. <laughs> so I just left her with some pretty oh, rude words word. and went up to sleep in her bed because I was over it. And I figured that any more dealing that had to be dealt with during the night was going to be your problem, including the cat who I was once out in the middle of the night. And you did have to let the cat out in the middle of the night. Um, but the next day I told our eight-year-old, this is done. I, we have gotten past the point of anything I can do to help you. We've tried soothing music. We've tried soothing homeopathic herbs. We have Bible verses taped to the wall above your bed. I've prayed with you. I've asked you to pray yourself. We've read a couple of books, which... This is a reference that you guys might, some of you guys might appreciate. The Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, CCEF, has some children's books that are themed around animals and different challenges that kids face. And it's, they're, they're kind of preachy, to be really blunt. And a little long. A little hokey and a little long, but our kids really like the stories in them, and they identify enough with them that they have been helpful in the past. So there's a mouse named Zoe who is afraid of a certain thing that her school is going to do because she had a bad experience with it. And the story models the sort of conversation that a parent can have with a kid. So you, you echo back to them the thing that they say they are afraid of, and then you affirm the validity of it. For example... Uh, Zoe got lost from her, separated from her class at the art museum. And she's afraid now to go back to the art museum for fear of being separated alone again. And so her mom says her mom had good listening ears. She listened to all of Zoe's feelings and fears and then affirmed those by saying, we, God made us to be to understand that we can be in danger and for our minds to be alert to danger. And when we have a scary experience that communicated danger to us, we our minds remind us of that and tell us that that experience will be dangerous again. And so that teaches us to avoid that. And so, so learning how to communicate with your kids as well as giving a couple of Bible verses and Bible verse cards and anyway... Uh, we, I tried to read Zoe with Lily and this time, and she wouldn't read it with me, but she kept it on her bed and told me that she was reading it on her own. Anyway, all of this just came to a head. And I was like, at this point, I've also, oh, another thing I had tried to do is try to find out if there was something that triggered this fear. Because for a lot of kids, uh, being afraid of a situation can be a clue to parents that something bad has happened in that situation. And so we do need to be alert. Like, I don't want to go back to Uncle George's house. Mm. Why don't you want to go back to Uncle George's house? I just, I don't like it. It's scary there. That should be, even if it's just that Uncle George teases me a lot or Uncle George has a dark basement I'm afraid of, we always need to try our best to tease out why a kid has developed a sudden fear or aversion to something because it could be a red flag that something is happening that we need to be able to actually protect them from. Um, and obviously the biggest one of those is some sort of physical or sexual abuse 
from a cousin or something. You know, I don't want to go back to Uncle George's house. I don't like hanging out in the basement with all of the cousins. Like, that should be a really big, like, okay, you know, or I don't like this, you know, this grandpa or uncle hugging me or teasing me. Things like that should be, I think we we as parents always have different lines, like, you know, is it is the two-year-old who refuses to hug grandpa and grandma goodbye just being an obstinate two-year-old and being disobedient? Or is there something there that we need to be mindful of protecting our two-year-old or our four-year-old or our six-year-old from? Anyway, I tried to, I tried to get out of Lily if there were any triggers like that for her. Couldn't identify anything. She just kept saying, I'm lonely for you. I just need you. And I was like, I'm in order to love you well during the day, I need you to buck up, have some courage and just have some straight up obedience. Or you're not obviously not going to camp this summer. She signed up you guys for a three day, three night camp away from us with a friend. And that's not going to go well. (laughs) Right. If you can't sleep without me, 50 feet away in the same house when I've tucked you in at night, you sure aren't going to be able to sleep in a cabin with a couple of other kids. Your college-age counselor isn't going to be tucking you in and snuggling you and probably isn't going to, you know, click right just the right buttons for you as snuggling with mom does. So she, the first night, cried and was determined enough that she fell asleep. We are on night three now of three nights in a row of mom I went to bed by myself I was okay and I'm just trying to celebrate and affirm redevelop the the mental pathways for her like yes you were okay yes you are brave and strong and you can do this look you did it you can do it again and every time you do it just like developing strength or getting down a judo throw every time you do it you get better at it so Praise the Lord, because I was not a very nice mom on Monday. No, and then and then Elise decided to come, and here's actually what happened. So, with this, Elise you're talking comes, about Sunday night or whatever night it was. Elise comes downstairs and decides to crawl into bed, and I wake up. I hear something like, "No, it's time for you to go to bed now, to your own bed." And so I'm kind of half asleep as I hear Elise go, "No." And then you get really angry, snag your pillow, and say, fine, if you're going to stay here, I'm going to go sleep in your bed, and you stomp off upstairs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what woke me up, because you said it very loudly. Oh, I was I was so <laughs> mad. I was so, so mad. Then, she would like, she deadweighted herself. I was even going to try to carry her up to her room, yeah. which... She is not a small six-year-old, would have been a feat, but I was willing to do it. Well, And she deadweighted herself. I could not get her out of bed. And the poor kid has no clue. She wakes up the next morning, and I'm already like, okay, mom's going to be super touchy this morning. And we're downstairs at the kitchen island. We're making breakfast. And Elise goes, Daddy, I slept in your bed last night and mommy slept in mine. And she was really excited. <laughs> about it. Awesome she thought exchange. it was a great exchange <laughs> deal. And I'm like, oh boy, six-year-old, you have she no was, idea. She actually came up and climbed back into her own bed and tried to snuggle with me <laughs> <laughs> that morning. And I was like, uh-uh. I'd, I'd gone downstairs because I 
did not. She, by the way, has a terrible mattress. I think it was a hand-me-down oh, it's a mattress. Horrible mattress. So we got, it's so bad. I don't think that mattress has ever been changed, and you slept on that bed as a girl. No, I think really? I had... No, the mattress I slept on a, as a girl is the one that's on the trundle bed underneath it, that oh. super, super heavy one. Oh. Um, so I should think we just swap this, the mattresses out? I don't know. Maybe we should just buy it. You, you guys, you can get decent twin mattresses on Amazon, or at least you could like before inflation, for like 100 bucks, And they come in a vacuum-sealed bag rolled up you could actually even get a king-sized one. It's in a duffel bag, rolled up. It's hilarious to buy a king-sized, which we we got ours vacuum-sealed. Our lol. Lol. Yeah, if you guys on. want a great mattress, we can give you our referral code for lol. <laughs> I have to find it. We like it. Somewhere, but it's awesome. But anyway, the, we could get for 100 bucks. we could get a decent twin and then just give this one away to Goodwill yes. or something. But anyway... Not that she knows, because she's six. It's just when I do the bed exchange with her. But I'd gone down to get my phone, partly because I had no idea what time it was. And it was like 6.30, so I was like, I'm just going to do my Bible reading up here. Because Lily was asleep on the couch in the living room, and I couldn't get up and make coffee and stuff. But this morning, I congratulated our son for staying, staying in, in his, his room bed when I got up this morning. I mean, it could have been that he was upstairs, and he's like, oh, crap. I'm no, he wasn't. Downstairs he he was exa- they were all exhausted last night and they even Lily was like I don't think I'm gonna be scared I'm just gonna fall asleep and Titus was the same he was out cold by the time I even brought music down what did we end up doing with him yesterday last night we went to dinner last night oh that's right and they played around yeah that's right yeah they had a busy day yeah they did and if the fact that they have fevers today says anything maybe they were starting to come down with something yeah yesterday yeah. I mean, tired. we've had a couple runny noses running through kids, but it's never not been anything like super severe. But Titus took his temperature today. He's like, Dad, look, I'm 102 or something like that, or 100, 100 degree, 100.2. And I was like, let me see that again. So I, I zap him again. It drops like 99.7. And I'm like, ah, okay. Just barely. <laughs> Just but... barely, but it won't pass. We've got a, um, a temp Nazi at our dojo, and she wouldn't let that fly. I would let that fly, but she wouldn't let that fly. Yeah, so that's all right. And then, we of course, of course, the tonight. toddler with a runny nose has has a high fever too. But again, it's under a hundred, but it's over ninety eight no. point. Well, I figure something. we'll feed them an early dinner. We can watch an episode of Jack Ryan. No, with the kids, the All Creatures oh. Great and Small. Yeah, we don't. Watch if you guys Jack aren't familiar with, with James Harriet's All Creatures Great and Small stories, I read them when I was a kid. I have an illustrated like best of, but I also have a three volume set of his veterinary stories and I just loved them and I've read some of them to Titus back he was one of the first read alouds I ever did with our kids and then last night uh the friend there we had dinner at their house their grandparents without any local grandkids and so she was reading aloud to the kids and Elise bounces up to me as we're leaving and says she read me this story about a dog. It was called Just One Woof. And I knew exactly what it was because I've read it multiple times. And Anyway, this friend, after reading the stories, very kindly loaned us the old PBS, not the new ones, which are still coming out. And we don't wa- we haven't watched it all. But the old ones, she said, she loved with her kids when they were growing up. And so I was thinking we could watch one of those and then get them to bed. Early, early, early. And then we can watch Jack Ryan. Yeah. Are we behind? We're so behind. Jack Ryan came out like a year ago now. Oh, cool. 
That's hey, that's pretty we're hip for us. We're, yeah, we're so behind I on like everything. That. Super okay. hip. Okay, so carrying on another conversation from probably even before last week. Yeah, it was the the when I was talking about the challenging child book, and Paul and you mm-hmm. ended up having a follow up conversation about deposits and withdrawals. Yeah. In relationships in general. Yeah. And he was talking about, he had uh, a comment. He's like, it made me think about, about being in tune with somebody else to the point where, you know, they could handle a withdrawal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, are you capable of handling that withdrawal? But that sort of presumes some, uh, some semblance of, you know, intuition or knowledge of that person to know if they are able to handle that emotional withdrawal, what that looks like. Because when you're having relationships with people, it's like, okay, I really want to, I want to dump on you right now, but maybe you can't handle it, or I want to discuss something with you, but maybe it will. Well, here's an interesting idea. Maybe it'll trigger you. You know, <laughs> like you can't handle that. Uh-huh. And that's that's, you know, there's so many things that go into that. But that was kind of his his thought. And then he said, I kind of took it way deeper than he did because he was. He's like, well, that's deeper than I was thinking. So. But. Well, I was when you briefly mentioned the conversation to me, it made me think of how in our adult relationships, we often in our marriages as well as just in our friendships, we often are kind of keeping tabs on who owes who what and how it's not necessarily a bad thing. So we have friends like emotionally like well, she not owes him an apology well or... no 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 not necessarily emotionally i think i'm thinking more like money he owes me five bucks no like i want my two you did the dishes tonight a so... prize for somebody who names that movie i want my two dollars i don't know what movie that is i don't get yeah. a prize yeah no. so no i'm thinking more <laughs> i'm thinking more like here's the classic like you give me a back rub you get a reward oh i get sex Sex for back rubs. Yeah. Or, or, you know, you do the dishes where I would, you know, if I'm not doing the dishes late at night. And then I still have to give you a back rub to get sex. Well, sometimes, you know, so then, you know, <laughs> the price varies. No, but like, so, so, so if the price is negotiable, if we, we have several sets of friends and I don't know if you're doing this, but if our kids have a play date at their house, I have a mental tabulation. Okay. It's my turn to have them over. Oh, I don't either, do that at all. Either the family the whole family or just the kids it's our turn to have the kids over to our house or for the friends who live Mm. out in the boonies she came and got titus last time there was a play date so next time it's and so here's here's where it's interesting is it's not an exact calculation because friends who are true friends should have a lot of grace buffer in their relationship and so if her boys are like, I really want to have another play date with Titus. And she's like, okay, in order to bless my children and bless my friend, maybe I'll take the three minute drive into to, to Molly's house and pick up her son again. And I don't know, maybe she's keeping tabs like, okay, that's two for her and, you know, for me and she hasn't done anything. Or I don't I mean, there's, there's a so when you have ways. when you when you have people over. I don't necessarily. Do think you keep? That, do you, do you when you have people over? You're like, I'm keeping a tab, and now that I've had you over, I expect you to have me over next time. No, is that going through your head? No, not always. 
<laughs> because because we tend the, the depends on how terrible their kids were. Well, no, then they're just not or getting invited back yeah. necessarily. <laughs> um, no, it's more. So here's so here's some of that calculus though. We are we love to be hospitable, and other people their their housing situation, their life situation, their personalities, their kids, their family situation, all sorts of things might mean that they don't necessarily have the capacity to have people over, but we enjoy them or we feel called to, to have a a culture of hospitality. So there's, there's, when I'm doing that, it's like just pure grace. I don't expect anything in return from people like that, but there are certain relationships where, and I don't feel like they're necessarily keeping an exact calculus, but if there's a free, every single one of our friends is going to be like, is it oh, me? crap, is it me? No, but no, here's here's the thing though. If you have a trusting good friend situation, there's I mean, I can think of multiple family friends that we have that we we've been to their place, they've been they've been to ours and it's more of an organic, you know, hey, we haven't seen each other for a while. Can we get together? sort of thing. And there's no there's no keeping track, but it does feel lopsided if you're always getting together, if they're always having us over to their house. Hey, we'd love to get our families together. And then there's, you know, the awkward does. My favorites though is when you're like, hey, we should get together sometime. Yeah, we should. Cool. But you never actually put anything. It's just kind of the token like, hey, you know what? You're you're cool enough to like for me to th- you know, say it'd be a great idea, we should together, but you're not cool enough to actually get together with. Yeah. So, so... Such a jerk. I think we have to have the grace for people to extend hospitality to them without expecting anything in return. Well, for sure. But also, the recognizing that in long-term relationships, there's if we're always going to their house or they're always having our kids for play dates that's what draws on our part because we're yes. expecting something of them yes. that we're not willing to do in return for them or vice versa somebody's always drawing on you but never making any deposits right but there's also so it's kind of be- like do you have do you have like a very deep account because i know some people that have extremely deep accounts that but, they must be getting filled elsewhere and then using it to credit to somebody else's well, withdrawals yeah so so there's that there's people who are extraordinarily giving and serving to other people, they get deposits in their accounts from those other people or from from God, you know. Um, right, the love cup that never runs empty. Right, exactly. Or, or we have people that we have over to our house or have historically who have, you know, college kids can't can't host a family of six at their house. But the deposit comes in the form of the relational benefit that we get. So the deposit doesn't necessarily have to be for tat. We had you over, you had us over. But the deposit is we really enjoy being with you and we're blessed by having you in our lives. Yeah, I was going to say, I think there's, at least for me, there's several. There is not several. There are a a couple, maybe one or two, maybe three couples that when I have them over, it feels like they've deposited into my life. Yeah. Like, I feel refreshed. Mm-hmm. 
I feel engaged. And I'm not talking about the introvert, extrovert sort of, I feel refreshed and invigorated being with people. No, no that's not what I'm talking about. No, they have something overflowing from them. You walk away going, man, I couldn't have, like, that was just, that was better than me going away into the mountains by myself or you going skiing I by am so blessed by the time that yeah. I got to spend with that yeah. person. And it could be because of their spiritual overflow. It could be because their minds are so engaging. Um, Tim Keller has a whole thing in when I was studying for that women's retreat stuff. He has a whole section on if you're going to complain that you don't have friends, consider what kind of friend you are and maybe make yourself a better friend either by reaching out to people, but also by being just a flat out more interesting person. Well, and the the thing I was going to say is like that, that's a reflection back on you. You're like, cause I'm looking at it going, I don't want to be that friend. I want to, I don't want to be that friend that drains everybody. Mm -hmm. I want to be somebody where they, they walk away and go, man. I feel refreshed having them in my house, but knowing me and my personality, I don't think anybody would ever say that about me. I think they would. Because I am a, I'm a firecracker sometimes. At least I have been here recently. That's true. But that doesn't necessarily mean that people aren't going to come away feeling blessed from having been around you. Or refreshed rather than drained. Right. Um, I think there's also, there's one more thing that I wanted to throw into the a wrench, so to speak, in the conversation, which is there are times where... An unexpected transaction. (laughs) Well, there are times when your bank account is empty and you can't make withdrawals. And you get a bank fee, an overdraft. And, but you, you still need things of people. You, when your account is empty and you don't have anything to offer other people, that's where... You you truly need to have already cultivated in your life relationships of grace where people can draw on their own excess without expecting you to repay. Um, And I I mean, we all get to that point. Well, I feel like, yeah, and I feel like the point we should all kind of get to is the fact that it doesn't matter how much how much somebody because it's not it's not that uh, five love languages sort of tit for tat it's mm-hmm. not like that oh well uh, the reason i don't love you so much right now is because you haven't filled my love cup sort of crap right it's not that it's we should all kind of get to the point th- i feel like we should all be getting to the point where it's like it doesn't matter what you've done for me i will always have something to give to you or to be sacrificial for you because that's the model that christ right that, that christ sets in the new testament and that you know it teaches us and to do. he calls us to that because yes we have an overflow of his love right um right but also i think the new testament calls us to be willing to be the people who will ask to make withdrawals when the to have the humility, humility because that's yeah. that's what we are before god right mm-hmm. we don't have anything to offer him and so the deposit withdrawal balance is wildly skewed. We don't right. make deposits into God's account. God only ever makes deposits to yeah. us. And because because we, before God, have put ourselves in a posture of being absolutely needy and humble enough to ask for help, we can go to other people in humility with our needs and be humble enough to acknowledge those needs and ask for help. And it's a scary place to be. I The, the time that I first thought about this, weirdly enough, was when we were moving into this house 
And we had to ask friends to help us move twice because we had this six-month period when we moved out of our house before we could get into this house. And so we moved stuff into storage, and then we needed to move stuff again into here. And there's only so much you can do to incentivize people to come spend an entire morning or an entire day hauling boxes or heavy furniture for you. And as a, let's see, when we moved in here, I was 10 pounds, 15 pounds less than I am now, but I won't say as, as a small woman, (laughs) I don't have the physical strength to haul the furniture to haul the huge boxes full of books. I could do a couple. You would if you did CrossFit like so many other ladies on Instagram. That's true. But I also had... <laughs> I'm, just being a I'm trying to think. Elise was one and a half when we moved in here. So we had, what, a one, three, and five-year-old. Yeah, one, three, and five when we moved in here. I can't We've been be... in here five years already? We moved in in, tw- in the fall of 2016. I keep feeling like it's only been like three or yeah. two or three no, or four. in September it will be six, five years. Wow. Um, but, and so so I I couldn't be meaningfully helpful having a one, three, and five-year-old. So for me, and I can't, I can't promise these guys, hey, next time you move, I'll carry stuff for you. And so for me, there's this posture of total neediness that I have no hope of repaying unless I send you out for yeah. hire. But how often do people move? Maybe once or twice. And, you know, the last time we had friends move, you were on ski patrol duty. So it's like, well, sorry, we can't. You know, this is our one chance to help this friend with that. Right. Can't help him. And so there's this, for me, it was the the humility of trusting that friends have enough in their account, this is where it's coming back to that, so to speak, that they are willing to serve and love us in a sacrificial way. Because then, I mean, as a mom of multiple kids, anytime you go spend a Saturday helping somebody move, that means that I'm at home alone with the kids, which is a burden on all of us. Yeah. So there's a sacrifice for the whole family in order for them to help us in a way that we cannot actually repay and to trust that they are doing it out of love and aren't going to hold it against us. And for some reason during that season, I had a fear of our friends holding it against us that we kept asking them to help us move. Oh, funny. And I was right that I don't know if this is a correct interpretation of the verse in First John that says perfect love drives out fear. But for me, coming across that verse during that season told me, made me think that this was perhaps, and obviously God is the only one with perfect love, but as we aspire to loving others within the body of Christ as perfectly as our fallen hearts can, other people can ask to make withdrawals from our account without fear that overdrawing the account is going to be held against them. Yeah, you know, and the other, something else I was thinking about too in regards to to the comment Paul made about, you know, relational capital if you will is is it does presume you have a sense of where the other person is at yeah which means you are either attentive to who they are you have a relationship with them you listen to them you know where they're where they struggle in life etc um which all zooms you're thinking about somebody else rather than yourself in this in this situation true which is really hard you have to pull your head out of your own butt and be like okay i'm gonna actually 
give a crap for somebody else and uh, and actually take an interest in who they are and their needs um, to have that kind of presumption. And that takes a little that takes a lot of humility too, or at least a less of a focus on yourself, less selfish focus on yourself. But um, it reminded me of a conversation I had with a friend yesterday. We were talking about loving people whom we disagree with. Those people who, you know, let's say there's people at your church or people at your school or your community, your workplace, and you don't really particularly get along with them. You don't really care for necessarily their approach. You know, you realize maybe that they're valuable in what they do or anything, something like that, or they've got, you know, various, but just, you just don't get along with them. They're just not fun people to be around. For you. <clears throat> for Yeah, for you. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you have to have, it's like even even the broken people who are struggling with things or people who've really, and there's, I know everyone probably has somebody that they've known who is deliberately brought upon themselves through their decisions, really a lot of drama, a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, whatever, because they just make bad decisions. There's those people too. And I was telling him, I was like, you know, as long, uh, deeply, I, I, I were, I feel, you know, I, I want to foster a compassion for those people, all of those people, a compassion that then can drive, can drive me to put myself aside or my interests and love them better. It's like, as long as, you know, I told him, I was like, I think if, I feel like as long as I'm, I'm kind of, I still feel some sense of compassion for the lost or the hurting or the people I don't like and really have a heartfelt desire to, you know, to see them grow spiritually, grow in faith, grow in relationship. Um, then I think, you know, I'm in a fairly good place, but the moment I lose that, it kind of becomes one of those indicators. Like you, there might be something in the way here now because you don't actually care for that person anymore. You don't want to continue, you know, and everybody has kind of their own line for when they kind of stop like okay i I can't work with this person anymore because it's obviously not going anywhere or whatever everybody's kind of got their own i can't work with this kid because she won't get out of my bed in the middle of the night there's always that there's always that line and and the line is different for everyone we all have different tolerances and there's a lot of seasonal that we find different yeah and there's a lot of seasonal things too like i think god will bring people into our lives and we'll be in somebody's life in this season and then they'll move on and we'll move on and kind of everything else but you know if the moment you lose you lose the the desire for compassion or to even work with them or anything like that. I think it's it's a good indicator that something's not right with you. You know. That's true. Um, I honestly believe that our motto, people are weird and hard, helps with that. Because you can look at these people who are struggling and it's it's a it's a theological statement, right? <laughs> it is that that you are a unique individual created in God's image, exhibiting the fallenness of that image in ways that I personally find difficult mm-hmm. to understand. That's the weird part. And hard, difficult to lovingly engage you with. But you know what? This is a reality of life in a fallen world. Every single one of you out there is weird and hard to somebody. Yep. And you and I are weird and hard to a lot of people, I'm sure. <laughs> We're sometimes weird and hard to each other. That's true. And to our own Yeah, our own I know. I'm, I know I've been really hard the last couple of weeks for certain people in my circle. You know? But I, I actually, we, I don't know if we've talked about this on our podcast, but I think that as you talk about compassion for people who are 
on the outside for whatever reason, whether it's through their own choices or their personality or the way that life has happened to them. I feel like you and I are perpetual outsiders in some ways. Like yes. We don't have personalities that put us neatly in, as, as some people in in women in the women's world will refer to their tribe. I I feel like I will never have a tribe because even in elementary school I bounced from group to group and was friends with yeah. a couple people in every yeah. group until everybody else in that group decided they hated me and pulled me out uh you know would make me not be make that person that I had been next door neighbors with for years not be my friend. And so I have like, maybe burned deep in my psyche. Maybe I need counseling. <laughs> but I I have this mental picture, even now as I'm talking, of a couple different groups in fourth grade, third and fourth grade. We had very, very catty girls at Lockwood Elementary School. And I don't think any of them are listeners to us now, so I can say this. I'm not going to say If you are, anyway. she'll go out for have coffee and you guys will repair it. I make, will. Make I'll be like, you know what? You were weird fresh. and hard then. You're probably weird and hard now, but so am I. <laughs> But no, but I have this mental picture of being on the outside, never actually, you know, like an actual on the playground mental picture of not being of these groups of girls and I'm not in any of them. Oh. And, um, and I, I know you were homeschooled all the way through, so you yeah, didn't so have I any never, playground experiences. But, but I had, I, you know, but I, similar too, I never really had, pars- partially was because I, I was homeschooled and moved around a ton. I had a couple of key friends that were always there wherever they lived but i didn't have i was never anywhere i was really never anywhere long enough to even try to become part of a group you initial like okay we'll check you out for a little bit and by the time it got to the point where somebody could end up rubbing on somebody else or like you're actually not cool you know we were moving on so (laughs) it's like all right cool but even still you know i don't have you know what did what did that one gal write is everybody hanging out without me yeah, Mindy Callen. Mindy, Mindy Callen, yeah. I mean, I still office. feel that. I, you know, I'm 42, and I still feel like there's probably people out there that are hanging out without me. And it's like, oh, I want to be a part of that crowd. But I think it's in our human. You know, I think it's in our human nature. I mean, look at the cultural the cultural struggles we're experiencing now. Everybody wants to be. A, everybody needs an identity. Like we're always we're trying to be part of this group. We're trying to be part of that. I mean, look at Instagram. Instagram is generally all about somebody's identity circle. You know, it's like okay, well, I'm I'm a, I post about nothing but CrossFit. Well, CrossFit's probably your jam. They're probably your people, your tribe. That's your community. That's who you're trying to associate with. Mm-hmm. That's your identity. Uh, or you know, I'm I'm into schoolies and this is my schoolie tribe. Or I'm into makeup and you know looking beautiful and you know whatever your tribe is, it's built into us to want to be a part of something. But I think more than that, more than what I'm into, the tribe thing is we rate how how well we're doing at it by how many likes we get. Oh yeah. You know I mean yeah. if you guys haven't seen the movie Eighth Grade. You haven't seen it, Jr. It's incredibly powerful because it's this girl who's acting like she's a YouTube influencer. She's finishing up eighth grade, and she gets she you know has this saying that she says. I think she says Gucci at the end of all of her videos, and she doesn't have any friends at school. And she talks in her things like you know what do you do in this situation? Well, when I've been in that situation, and then she gets like 
one, two views on her YouTube channel. Mm. And she just is struggling to fit in. But the the fact of not getting the views hurt probably more to her than the not actually talking to people at school because that has become the metric by which she is weighing her value. Yeah, and, you know, all of that stuff is so, like... It's just such low-hanging fruit that examines our our walk with Christ and our relationship with the Lord. Because, you know, when you're struggling with those things, those are identity issues. Yeah. Those are finding finding a true identity here. And I I, it's easy to say. It's a lot easier for that knowledge, that understanding, to actually take root and change your heart. And sometimes that'll take a very long time to happen. Yeah. You know, sometimes it'll, it's, you know, certain people I know that that is a core of one of their, you know, if we all have besetting sins, for instance, that's the, that's their core. That's their besetting sin is they perpetually struggle to find, to really have that take root in their heart. And that's just, that happens to be their particular, you know, strongest weakness. Um, Other people, it takes hold and it radically transforms their lives. But those are always good questions to yeah to ask yeah um you talking about that makes me think of the book that i'm on a on a cheerleading kick for right now it's by which i didn't have a chance to read today it's okay i'm I'm gonna read it to you right now uh it's by an author named rico tice r-i-c-o T-I-C-E. I think it's T-I-C-E. Anyway. And I'll put links for everything in the show yeah if you guys have heard of this the evangelism uh, method, what, I don't know what, what you call it, uh, Christianity Explored. Rico Tice created Christianity Explored out of his church in London. Back when I was in seminary in the early 2000s, I did a Christianity Explored group, and it was great. Um, he it the, the organization has now grown, like there's a U.S. branch, and they've got a couple of other programs, one of which is called Discipleship Explored, and it's going through the Book of Philippians, which caught my eye because it was on sale at Westminster Books a couple of months ago. But it's also, Discipleship Explored is also on American Gospel TV. The, what is it, a channel? What are you? Network. Network. It's like a network. Yeah, now. AGTV Network has Discipleship, Discipleship Explored. It's a video series working through the book of Philippians from the perspective of what is, how does it help us as modern day followers of Christ. So that's something I'd like to work through. Anyway, Rico Tice recently came out with a book called Faithful Leaders. And I'm not sure why it caught my eye the other day, but while I was working out yesterday, I decided to listen to a YouTube video of him summarizing some of the key points from his book. And the it was the U.S. leader as far as I could tell, of Christianity Explored, interviewing him for people in the at network here in the U.S. Uh, it was a live webinar, but now it's on YouTube, and we'll post the link to it. So it's, it's about an hour-long video, but before you get to the... They take live questions. It's really only like 30, 35 minutes of listening. And he summarizes things. I really liked two key points that he made in there. One was, and he's talking to Christian leaders, but it's 
it's widely applicable whether you have a formal leadership position or not. The first point where he's talking about how rigorous leaders, and I, by, I would extrapolate that out to everybody, need to be in vetting, in digging out their sin. And he talks about the sin of Achan in Exodus and how Achan saved some of the spoils and then, or is it in Joshua? Now I'm going to... Joshua. It's in I Joshua. just finished reading Achan. Okay. I just finished reading Exodus and Achan was So, there. so Achan is there, they're taking over the promised land and Achan keeps some of the spoils for himself. And the Israelites start losing battles. And it comes out that <clears throat> it's because of sin in the midst and they can't figure out where the sin is coming from. And it's a hidden sin. He's got this hidden in his tent, and maybe his wife knows about the tre- the treasures that he's kept. But people are actually dying because of his sin. And then there's this, he in the book, Rico uh, draws out how how terrifying it must have been for him to be like, nobody will find this out. And then they're like, we're going to draw out, we're going to go draw by lots you know, and whittle it down, starting with the tribe. And, you know, they start with the tribe of Judah and now the Zerahites and now Zimri. And then, it, you know, it comes mm-hmm. down to him, to Achan. And he summarizes saying, be sure your sin will find you out. But also your sin matters because not just Achan was stoned for his sin, but his entire family, his kids were taken outside the gates and stoned for his sin. And he makes the point, if you are a church leader, the people in your church could very well be suffering because of your sin. Or if you, he doesn't say this, but as the as a parent in a family, if you have a hidden pornography issue, if you have an, you know, and, you know, and he, he says, look, my sin, my besetting sins that I struggle with, I can't remember where he says it now, I'm trying to flip through this Kindle book quickly, but he names them. He says, my besetting sins are lust, anger, and something else. And I can't bluff God about it. I have to constantly be confessing my sin to God. And I need to have a local church. In the interview, he talks a lot about Ravi Zacharias and how oh, Ravi wasn't yeah. part of a local church. And he considers that to be incredibly key. So even though he has this national ministry, Christianity Explored, he is an active member in a local church who goes to leadership meetings every week. He's got accountability every week. He's got prayer meetings every week. And he's just part of the body life of the church. And so he talks about how incredibly important that is. But then he has this beautiful part about how Achan died for his sin, but... Christ was crushed for our sin. And so the freedom that we have to confess is so much bigger. But what I loved even more than that, what probably made me go out and buy the Kindle book was going into the, you know, you're talking about reminding ourselves daily that we have to have our um, identity rooted in Christ. He has a personal catechism that he recites to himself every morning. And he's like, look, I have small kids. Sometimes it doesn't happen right away, but I go through these questions and answers to myself every day. And I thought, you know, rather than trying to rewind this and write it down and type it out, I'm just going to do this for myself. So 
He, every day, he says to himself, Rico, when did God choose you? And he tells himself, before the creation of the world, he chose you in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight, and he predestined you for adoption to sonship through Jesus, Ephesians 1. Rico, how does God feel about you? He is delighted with you because he is delighted with Jesus, his son, and you are united to Jesus by faith. A righteousness from God has been revealed, and it has been given to you. You are a sinner, and you are justified. Rico, say today what Gresham Machen, Gresham Machen said on his deathbed. I thank God for the obedience of Jesus. Your identity is in Christ, and whether others accept you or reject you today does not make you any less or any more valuable or accepted or loved. Rico, why is today a great day? Because today is the day that God has planned for you, and if God says that it's good, then it's good. Whatever God brings into your day, the things you choose and the things you definitely wouldn't, he will work them for your good. And your good is to become more like Jesus. So today, one way or another, whether you see it or not, you are going to grow to be more like your Savior, and that is a great day. Rico, why is today better than yesterday? Because you are a day's march closer to home, 24 hours closer to seeing Jesus face to face. You never, you need never lose heart because through today, though today may be hard, your troubles are the path to the eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What you cannot can see is not all there is and it will not last. What you cannot see is eternal and you're getting closer to the day that faith becomes sight. No human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9. Anyway, so he says that to himself every day. It, it reminds me of the morning a couple of weeks ago where I was having a really, 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 really hard week. And I woke up the following morning of the hardest day of the week. And I was pouring coffee. And you have um, every moment in, in, the, in the book, Every Moment Holy, there's a liturgy for morning coffee. Uh, and so I was I was reading through that, and it was very similar to that. There's a YouTube video of that that we can link to. It was reminding. It was. It, I was really struck by just like one of the passages. Like God, I'm gonna trust that you heal something. Like I'm, do you heal me from the pain of yesterday, and that today's today's a day that you know you go before me and all the things. And it was just it was really good. I really liked it. Sometimes it um, really hits home when you're standing there measuring your coffee out. Huh? Barely barely awake and you're just like i don't want to go through that again mm-hmm. you know on day two um oh man that's a good word no i like that and again i'll link all this stuff in the show notes so you guys can uh, can access it okay so before we wrap up because we're about out of time um i want to quickly we mentioned uh paul today and uh, a couple fun things in our mailbag for the week molly last week um talked about her failed Rosetta Stone learning, I don't know, what language was it? German? Mandarin? Uh, Korean. Korean. I was trying to learn Korean. Trying to learn Korean. And so Paul emails and goes, you know, my son uh, decided he wanted to learn Latin because he wanted to be a scientist. And, you know, no, being, when you're a scientist, you Latin's all the names of the plants and animals. So his, uh, his mother got him Rosetta Stone, Latin. And he practiced for a week or two before uh, realizing it didn't make any sense. 
<laughs> he was learning basic nouns like apple. Okay, which is fine. And then they gave him the word sandwich, which said, I'm, I'm done. Look, right? Latin. And then he walked into, walked into his dad, Paul, and said, look, I'm not learning this anymore. This is dumb. Latin died out around the 6th century. Sandwich didn't show up until the Earl of Sandwich. And that was not for another thousand years. So he's like, I'm not learning this. This is dumb. I'm not learning words in Latin. Coffee, bicycle, and automobile for things that didn't even exist back then. <laughs> So, it was it was rather humorous. Um, so there's Rosetta Stone for you. And then finally, we had an email come in from Claudia. Now we were just talking about besetting sins, and is really, Claudia telling us her besetting? No, sin? no, no. Claudia is not telling us besetting sin. But I was just kind of laughing because this these kind of this kind of email like targets one of my besetting sins. So you know I'm like. Most males, I've got lust. Mine is uh, pride, which there's there's fame. I, my joke is I just want everybody to think I'm awesome, I'm God, and everybody to bow down and worship me, right? So I was like, oh, this is funny. This this email just totally blows up my head and makes me feel great about myself and everything we're doing. And it's a woman, so we're just going to tie all the, all the besetting sins together. <laughs> anyway, really crass, I know. But anyway, so Claudia sends us a postcard on our website, and she says, the subject line is, what I like about you. <laughs> of course. In the body I don't the even message. say so, that many nice things about you in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe said, I should make more positive. Claudia says, you create laughter based on reality, sourced mostly by your family. Your content is relevant. You share how, Christian view, how a Christian can view topics biblically. You give great references in print and video audio. Re- read the whole brain. The whole brain child and listening to Dr. Strand as I can. And some pretty cool products like the Coffee Frother. Heard your ad on the World and Everything in It podcast. Look forward to your episodes and appreciate the swag shop shirt. I have told every friend that I have that people are weird and hard. <laughs> Just always add in that humble statement that I, that I is the people as well. LOL. And by the way, your music sounds super cool at one and a half speed. Thanks again. So, thank, thank you, Claudia, Claudia, for Claudia. blowing up JR's that made me, brain. That made my day. I was like, oh man, we have the best fans ever. And so you know, Molly, somebody actually does listen to podcasts extra fast. Oh, Addie listens to podcasts at one. A ton of people listen at one and a half times. I yeah. almost forget to. Um, speaking of not a one and Claudia talking speed. about product references, speed I have a couple of things listener. to mention to you okay. guys. Right. One is if you are buying zippers like I did the other day for about three, seven feet of zipper. No, 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 no. <laughs> I bought 17 yards of zipper. From Zipper Shipper. This is not an ad, you guys. We got a zipper fetish around here. I think it's called like zippershipper.com or something. Um, JR can post the link, but uh, I'm I'm gearing myself mentally to recover all of the cushions in the used, the 2007, so 14-year-old pop-up camper that we got. These cushions are well used. 17 yards of zipper. And so, and I watched I watched a number of YouTube videos. Touchdown! And I was convinced that this particular way of using a lot of zipper would be the best way to be, to not just to, like, to be able to take the cushions off and on and wash them as well as get them on easily and have them look nice. Yeah. So I've never sewn zippers before. 
I might be asking my mom for help, which goes back to our, when are we going to be self-reliant adults? I am 41 years so old. I'm going to be like, mom, can you teach me how to sew a zipper? Um, <laughs> but so 17 yards of zipper, you guys, Never. for like $20. And then, and you add on the poles, um, so, and they were like 50 cents each. Uh, way cheaper than 2 or $3 for a two-foot zipper from the fabric store. Like, you have no idea how much cheaper buying zippers by the yard from Zipper Shipper was. I also <laughs> then proceeded to buy for uh, both curtains for the camper as well as the cushions. I can't remember off the top of my head how many yards I bought, but it was approaching 40 yards of fabric. Again, fabric, that was fabric.com. Really good price compared to what I would have gotten locally. JR, the next morning, I woke up to an email from Fabric.com saying like, here's a coupon code for your next purchase. And I was like, can you give me a minute? (laughs) I'm I'm still having trouble breathing at the thought of how much sewing I am going to undertake between now and the middle of May. And I have to learn zippers, 17 yards of zippers. Please don't try to get me to buy any more fabric for a couple of days. What do you think I'm doing over here? Just reselling fabric? I know, it's an awful lot of fabric to then like be like, hey, come buy some more fabric from us. Um, You're like, she's a big buyer. We're anyway, right? Fabric.com was a good one for me to discover. Um, I also purchased at Ace Hardware locally. Not too long ago, a Lodge brand cast iron Dutch oven to keep in our camper and to use over campfires and things like that. So we can use it on our propane grill as well as on a fire. But the super cool thing about this Dutch oven, you guys, is the lid is the frying pan. So it's a twofer. You're not just having a Dutch oven with that you use for soups or for whatever and then a separate frying pan. The frying pan is the lid to the Dutch oven. So, Even yeah. when I was checking out at Ace, the lady who was, who was help taking my money, she was like, you know, I always know we, we sell cool stuff here, but this, this is so cool. And I was like, right? Now, we haven't cooked with this yet, so it'll probably suck. No, it won't. It's Lodge brand cast iron. It's, I don't know it, anything about Lodge brand it's, cast iron. It's the most established contemporary brand okay, for right, pre-seasoned cool. cast iron pans. Cool. Way it's, to go, Lodge. Yeah, it's standard. I mean, the the pan that we cook all of our eggs and stuff in is Lodge brand. I've just had it since before we got married. Nice. Um, one last thing I will mention mm-hmm. that moms might appreciate is I don't think I've ever shared my breakfast cookie recipe, which is my standard easy thing that I do with all of my brown bananas these days. Oh, yes. And kids my kids love cookies. it because they're like, we get cookies for breakfast. And I'll put the recipe on our blog and in our show notes. But you literally just mash up three brown bananas, add about a third of a cup of milk, about a third of a cup of applesauce, if you have it on hand, or add another half banana, add... A teaspoon of vanilla, a teaspoon of cinnamon, no leavening, and then two cups of oats, whole rolled oats, and then a handful of raisins and a handful or two handfuls of chocolate chips. Put it on parchment paper, put it in big blobs, bake it at 350 until they're done. Try not to forget that they're going so you burn the bottom because the kids won't eat them then. 
And the kids are like, it's cookies for breakfast. There's no sugar added. They're it's super oats, good. so it sticks with them for a long time. Yeah. I wouldn't, I mean, they're not, you have to have your expectations. It's basically baked oatmeal, sweetened by bananas. With chocolate chips in it. With chocolate chips, right. So it's not, it's not going to, if you're craving a chocolate chip cookie, it's not going to satisfy that craving. It will not satisfy. But if you have brown bananas and you don't want to take the time to make banana bread, uh, you can throw these together <clears throat> super fast, and your kids are like, mm, cookies for breakfast. So cool. that is my standard Sunday morning if I have brown bananas. Right on. Well, I'm going to swing down to the pub after this and have a pint with the guys because they're all hanging out down there. Oh, okay. And I'll be back for dinner. Okay. I suppose you can because you made the deposit of letting me <laughs> go skiing by go myself ski this morning. 40 inches of fresh powder. Only yeah. 24. Today, they've had like 30, they've had almost 40 inches in the last week and a half. No. Mm-hmm. no. I've added up the numbers. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Anyway, anyway. since you let me go skiing by myself this morning, Aww. you made the deposit. I'll let you make Thanks. the withdrawal of going to the pub Thanks. and leaving me alone with your kids yeah. for the afternoon. You clean the house. That's They're true. Happy. That's another happy withdrawal. And quiet and one, and one is napping. That's true. Yeah. It's all good. Super chill. Okay, guys, if you like us, uh, please share us with your friends. And uh, we thank you uh, for listening to uh, our show and staying with us this entire time. You can reach us at toobusytoflush.com or tb2f.com. You can email us at tb2f at pm.me. And you can even send me a text if you want at 406-318-7136. And if it's relatively interesting... We might mention it on the show because we like calling you guys out. Apparently, we've been told it makes people feel special. So, and there's that. JR likes being made to feel special, so that's his love language. And yes, yeah, yeah. Like Y'all are weird special. and hard, but you're also special. <laughs> weird and hard and special, and not that kind of special. The other kind of special. That's did I, I said that out loud. Dearly okay. beloved by Jesus, <laughs> special. Right on, guys. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.